Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan. Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rance, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? It's just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian... How are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Hello, and welcome into another episode of Sounder at Heart. I am Mark Kastner. I am, of course, joined by Jeremiah O'Shan, and just Jeremiah O'Shan, uh, this week, it's kind of like when your favorite band does like a stripped down acoustic set at a record store or something. <laughs> um, we're bringing it back to, to the beginning, to the old days. It was just you and me, Jeremiah. Just sitting on a on a little uh, bar stool with, uh, you know, flip flops. And... We don't even need to plug in the guitars. We, we don't have any amps or anything. No, we're all friends. Here. <laughs> we're all friends. <laughs> Your basement looks a lot different this time around than when we were recording several years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is, I guess, our, our first recording of uh, this off season, which is a little strange because the MLS season is not over yet. The uh, playoffs are still going on. But uh, of course, as you know, as listeners of this show, uh, the Sounders did not make the playoffs, so we're in kind of uncharted territory. It feels strange, doesn't it? It does. It's It's been, you know, I have to admit, um, if the Sounders miss the playoffs once every 13 years, I'd actually be okay with that. This I have not minded having one offseason of no uh, no playoffs, but it has to, like, as long, this has to be nice. And I also, coming on the heels of last year, where they uh, had a short playoff run, it's it is getting a little surreal, but I would like for that to end now. Uh, we can get back to our regular scheduled program. Yeah, yeah, I think this has been okay. Like, uh, not that it really matters, but to me personally, I right. just moved, uh, so it's been nice it to not convenient. Convenient yeah. sounders. Yeah, it's just like it's it's nice to have like a little bit of a break. Plus, it was nice to get kind of like fully invested in the Mariners thing that didn't end up lasting as long as we'd hoped for. But, and hey, I had a lot of fun like getting on board with the uh, with the rain too. Ol rain, you know. Yeah. I went to a, and that would would have been nice if they had one more game to play. But uh, yeah, you know, it was that nice felt to be... that felt strange too because it was like basically a month long build up, three weeks because they had the buy, right? And then the game was uh, it was exciting but disappointing at the yes. same time. Yeah, I would agree I with watched that. Watched from my living room. But yeah, so uh, a couple of things have happened, as I am sure uh, our listeners are aware. Um, we are recording on Thursday and uh, on was it Tuesday, Garth Lagerway, president of soccer and GM of the Seattle Sounders, had his kind of end of season press conference. And I would say the tone was uh, maybe more serious than I was expecting. He was very kind of matter of fact. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, uh, I'm sure we'll get into it. I don't know if that 
has to do with kind of where he's at with his contract and stuff. But, but yeah. Um, uh, were you at the press conference or were you just kind of, well, it was a, it was a video conference and I was, we participated in it. And I would say the, the tone that it struck to me was of someone who is both comfortable with the idea that they might not be in this job forever, but still wants the job, but like knows they have options, you know, like I'm sure you've had jobs where you, it's not like you hate your job, but you've also sort of like mentally made a decision that if I leave this job, that's okay. And that sort of gives you a freedom to, to think about it and to do it a little differently and, you know, he was still saying us and he was still saying, you know, he was saying all the things that you would expect a GM to say if they're planning on sticking around. But then at the end of it, he was very open about the idea that he doesn't know if if he will. Uh, and we can maybe that's not I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but it was I do think it's important to understand that the tone of the whole thing sort of came off that way of, of someone who is invested in 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 the outcomes but still maybe aware that he might not have to clean up the mess that he, he made with what he said. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, I think it's interesting that uh, maybe for the first time in uh, seven years, eight, almost eight years that Garth Lagerwey has been in this position that he has kind of done something where it's kind of um he's he's kind of like shown he's an individual instead of part of this larger organization that's the Sounders and that I guess makes sense because uh we don't know the um results of the GM vote that the council does every four years uh the last vote the only vote that he's been up for uh didn't get enough votes to even go to um the the technicalities of that right he didn't, and, he didn't reach the, the threshold way, right he didn't and he won and he like he as it like last time it's important to note that he had a pretty overwhelming support yeah. even even though there wasn't a enough votes to like validate the yeah and this outcome. and this time i it's pr- it's pretty safe to assume that he's going to win maybe by a less margin this time just because of the circumstances or maybe more because not that long ago literally six months ago uh we were celebrating the sounders lifting a cool trophy that you may or may not have heard about but um on top of that there are attractive propositions for garth to uh that could be attractive to garth at this situation he's kind of done it here he's kind of He's kind of done the Sounders thing and he could want to go do maybe the Atlanta thing or the Chicago thing or who knows. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things I don't know if he's ever explicitly said this on the record, but he's made it known that if he were to leave the Sounders, like one of the things that has that keeps him open-minded about other things is that he's still you know he's a relatively young guy who still has things he wants to achieve and he looks around the league and he sees you know like a former colleague like bill manning who oversees everything that's going on at tfc 
And he's like, well, why can't I have that sort of authority? Or he looks, you know, he looks at around the league and there's a handful of, of soccer people that have even more authority than he has. And that he, you know, he has pretty close to final say on everything, but there are details that he still can be overruled on uh, here. He, and that's part and parcel of having like an active owner. Uh, and Adrian yeah. Hanauer is very much still involved in the way the organization runs. And I've never heard Garth say that he wants more authority with the Sounders, but if he were to leave, it would probably be someplace where he has, you know, a presidential title that oversees maybe both sides of the organization where he's able to like handpick a GM and, you know, do all the other kind of things that he might want to do. And, you know, right now Atlanta looks like it could be that position. Uh, It looks like Chicago might have a position that's sort of like that open. Uh, it looks like FC Cincinnati is looking for a co-CEO with Jeff Birding. I don't know if that would quite, uh, <laughs> quite fit what he's looking for. Uh, you want to talk about active owners. <laughs> right, exactly. And then there's a bunch of other there's a, there's a bunch of other teams that have GM openings that, you know, I suppose if the price is right or if the opportunity is presented in a way that is enticing, could be, you know, could be interesting. And I don't know that the Sounders are going to, be willing to pay him the absolute top dollar. I, I don't know that they maybe they are, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, Hey, if you really want another job, we're not going to get into a, you know, we're not going to get into a bidding war for you. Uh, especially because my suspicion is they would be okay with potentially handing the reins over to a Craig Weibel or trying to bring back Chris Henderson. Like I'm sure the Sounders feel confident in their ability to, you know, even if even if they acknowledge that Garth is the best at what he does, to find someone else who is not necessarily uh, a massive step back, and and that's those are all complicating factors. I think Garth likes it here. I know his family likes it here. I know that he's very comfortable, but he's also someone who is aware of allowing. He's he, he I think he's aware of not trying to allow himself to be too comfortable because he still has things he wants to achieve. And I think that keeps everybody honest and that keeps everybody kind of on the cutting edge uh, of where they need to be. And let's like, just to put it really bluntly, if Garth Loggerway is on the market, uh, there are maybe just like five teams that would say no to him at this point. Yeah. And I don't know why. (laughs) Right. And, and, And those are, and presumably those are teams that have, uh, existing contracts with GMs who they just don't feel like pushing out. Yeah. Like I, I think you can make an argument that Garth would be an upgrade over almost every GM and around the league. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think most like I, it's maybe even less than five. I'm thinking of like LAFC, probably the galaxy, but that's a, just a different conversation that doesn't have anything right. to do with how competent those people are. <laughs> uh, and then like NYCFC, which are just existing in their own kind of created oil state world that they exist in. Um, and that, in, that includes teams that are in the semifinals or uh, their conference finals of the playoffs right now. Um, <clears throat> they, they would probably make uh, room for Garth. Just sort of like the Sounders did when they hired Garth, uh, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I guess we got a little bit like high level, thirty thousand feet there, talking about Garth. Um, yeah. 
but I think that really, like, I think it's kind of important to do that because I, I do really think it, that that sort of environment frames the press conference that he had. Agreed. Yeah, very much so. And so I think the specifics are, and, and maybe the most, the most interesting thing that I think Garth said in his press conference was, uh, was this quote. He says, when you make the playoffs 13 years in a row, it's very hard not to fall in the trap of we've always done it this way so therefore it must be right Loggerway said the league is evolving around us being a successful club means using young players that's something we have to get better at and we know that um and yeah so like yeah garth seven years ago 2015 right he came into a pretty successful sounders organization yeah he, <laughs> he at the time he actually joked what an idiot he was for taking the job because the sounders were coming off a double and it felt like the only way to go you know, there was, there was a very uh, narrow path to going up. And he, and it, like, he definitely he went up. He, he's uh, built an incredible academy. He completely redid the academy and. Uh, Over, and oversaw it. I think it's yeah, more. Of, sure. And I think he would, and he would be the first one to say that he's not. And I think that's maybe his, his biggest strength is that he's not necessarily in the weeds on the academy like he's not doing the day-to-day grind that is building the academy he's maybe not even he's, he's definitely not doing the day-to-day grind of coaching the team i don't even know that he's doing the day-to-day grind of like scouting players and and identifying talent but what he does so well is he sets he creates a framework uh that he can hire that he, he knows how to hire good people he has a good eye for hiring other talented people and he creates an environment that's reasonably collaborative and, and he's good at creating systems and frameworks. And I think that's really the best thing he did, especially at the Academy level was he just modernized the whole thing. Like it was really, you know, it was basically a couple of coaches and a few teams and they had some talented players, but there wasn't like a systemic way that they were, they were bringing guys up from uh, teenagers into the, into the first team. And we can quibble about like just how successful the final product has been, but I think everyone understands that the systems that are in place are at least allowing uh, for that sort of environment to flourish. Yeah. And I would like to put one caveat into this conversation because this is something that kind of bothers me in terms of like developing youth talent around the world. Like we're three years into a global pandemic (laughs) and that has like, the research has been done. You can look at it across the world. Academies have been affected because of that. Player development has been affected because of that. So maybe where it could have been different, it probably would have been different, but certain players develop differently, especially in the environment that we've been in. Um, with that said, uh, there there's a lot of work to do for the Sounders right now. And I, and I think like, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to frame this as like a shot across the bow, but it, it does seem like Garth Lagerwey kind of laid his cards down on the table and said, Hey, look, this is, this is the path forward for this team. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be here to oversee it. I also don't know if the people that are here that will oversee it will do this, but we got to, we've got a ton of youth talent that, should be utilized and i think that that kind of is an interesting place to start talking about like 
how we expect this offseason to go. Yeah, I think one of the things that I'll note, and that has been, you know, there's some people that have pointed this out, but I'll I'll give some credence to the idea that it's it's definitely on the convenient side for Garth to say, if only we had done, we had used the players that I gave you differently, <laughs> we would have gotten a better outcome, right? Like yeah. it's 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 a it's self-fulfilling, admittedly, or it's self self-fulfilling, that's the wrong word. It's uh it's it's giving himself an out because he's, he's basically saying, look, I gave you all the talents you needed and you just didn't use it the way that I thought it should have been used and whatever, like you can take that for what it's worth. But I, I think there is, there's some, there's some logic involved. And, and if you look at it, the Sounders did sort of fall into a trap of playing, like relying really heavily on whoever the first choice group was, and then rotating out a bunch of guys when that group got tired and what garth is saying is that what a better system would be to like mix and match those groups a little bit more effectively like maybe you don't end up feeling your best 11 on a regular basis and by the way the Sounders only fielded their best 11 twice all season and those were in the two leg that happened to be the two legs of the champions league final and that uh, only lasted like 10 minutes into the second leg because of yeah injuries. right exactly right exactly <laughs> so, it's, and so, so it's like maybe 100 minutes maybe <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that much for sure. And, and, you know, we can, so it's like on some level, some of these decisions were made for them, but I, I do think it, it underscores some frustrations that Garth had, you know, spoken off the record about uh, during the season, which was like, I, like he, I think he would have rather not sent Sam a dinner in on loan. He would have rather him been getting regular enough minutes with the first team that, and they, and they felt like it was a complete waste of his, his time and energy to play him at MLS next pro. I think that's a justifiable decision, but like, it wouldn't have been nice to have a player like Sam a dinner in down the stretch who could maybe change the game. Who knows if he really would have, but like I a mean, player it, in that mold, if you're crossing the ball, 120 times more than any other team in the league right and you you literally own the rights to a guy who's six foot five and i i don't know enough about his particular skill set to know if he's good at heading the ball but he sure he's a lot better than say christian Rodon going up for a header who's five foot eight well he's yeah he's a, a i mean he's taller. a physical yeah he's, he's a physical player who can stretch the field who can do who can do a lot of things uh, differently than what really anyone else on the roster could do, and and sure they played him a few times early in the season, but they never gave him a serious run out. Uh, and I think you can say that for a lot of players. Like, I, like I'm I'm on the I'm I'm of the belief that Leo Chu might not have it. Like I, I I'm open to that possibility, but how many times did we really let him play with surrounded by other starters? Uh, and it, it wasn't, wasn't like, the highest pressure situation imaginable. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so it's towards like, the end of the season, that's what. Happened. Right, exactly. Like how, like how rarely did Dylan Dylan Tevez get used with the first team? Like his one start, he scored, and then he didn't get another. He never got a serious run after that. He uh, didn't get another start. No, he didn't get another start. Even Jackson Reagan, who I think most people agree showed a lot of promise. Whether or not you thought he's, you know, he's the next coming of Aaron Long or whatever. Uh, he showed a lot of promise, but then after he got his red card, he only got two more starts in MLS uh, for the rest of the season, which was like so the second half of the season here, he, he really didn't get any starts. And, and yes, Josh Atencio and uh, Danny Leva and Obed Vargas all got 
and, and for that matter, uh, Jackson Reagan all got significant minutes, but they were almost all in situations where they were like forced into getting like playing those guys. And so I understand Garth's frustration, which is we sure. Uh, I understand. Like he understands the desire to like use your best players whenever they're available, but like, does Nico need to play 90 minutes every, every game? Does you know, clearly uh, not because right. he's wasn't very good. <laughs> right. Does Jordan Morris need to start every week, even like even when it's very obvious that he's he's not at his best? Uh, you know, and in a position Christian... that he hadn't played all year or in right. several years for that. Right. Matter. I mean, Christian Roldan <laughs> ended up playing something like six games after he first uh, felt his injury. Like, could he have maybe uh, worked in some more rest? You know, you could go down the, the list and and say like, could could we have done things differently? And I think that's what he's saying is that we need to be more. Oh, and, and more importantly, like these changes could have been made earlier in the season. Like we shouldn't be, you know, going down the stretch where like all our veterans are just like, we're having to alter training habits just so we can get our veterans on the field. Like that's maybe not preparing them the best way we can prepare them. Yeah. And it, and it gives like a pretty clear indication to certain players that, um, whether this was on purpose or not, and there's so much blame to go around. And there's even blame that Garth Lagerway should shoulder, and I think he does absolutely. Too. But like it, it communicates to a group of players that these 15 guys, 16 guys over here are it, and these other guys over here, uh, I guess if shit hits the fan, you guys get to play. <laughs> And I don't, I don't think that that was intentional by anybody on the coaching staff um, or in the front office even. But that's kind of what ended up happening towards the end of the season. And when uh, shit did hit the fan and those players did end up needing to play, uh, very obviously they weren't able to perform to the standard that they needed to. Yeah, I mean, and I think the, the proof is really in the – I know there is a lot of uh, consternation about how much talent this team has, but a team that wins Champions League should not go four nine and four during the second half of the season. I don't think that's a mind blowing uh, like that should not be a controversial statement. Like if you win Champions yeah. League, you are definitely more talented than a four nine and four record over seventeen games, and I think within that you look at how many one goal losses they had. You look at how many, you know, this was not a team that was just getting blown out. They, they weren't, uh, they were a team that just didn't look like they had that, that last burst that they needed and that it let them down a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think a really interesting mirror for this team is actually NYCFC because, uh, NYCFC obviously won MLS cup last year. Uh, so they end up playing three more playoff games than the Sounders did. Um, that went to, we don't even really need to get into the minutes. So they beat NYCFC in the semifinal of CCL, right? So the Sounders go on to play two more CCL games, which, you know, is obviously the final. Now NYCFC sells their best player and loses their head coach, but they're still in. Eastern Conference final this weekend. And notably, they're one of the, you know, and 
you know, we can look at the rosters and I, and I don't think like this, like it's been sort of like alluded to, like the Sounders had this ancient roster and it's not like, there's no, no matter how you parse the numbers, uh, the Sounders had within the median, like the median third, they're very much within that in terms of like age, whether you, you're breaking it down by starters or whatever. Like Garth said, the Sounders had the fourth fewest minutes of players that are 25 and under. I don't, I don't honestly know if that's true. I assume that he didn't make it up, but like, that's also the kind of data that you can just kind of pick a number. And it's it like 25 and under 25 is not a magic year. Uh, like you can play with those numbers a lot by like the raw numbers. The Sounders were, you know, like, like I said, within sort of the median range of uh, average starting age, average roster age, you can kind of go through that. So it's not like the centers were like an old team, but you look at NYCFC, a team that played a comparable number of games and they are quite a bit younger. And, and I think they also probably rotated their lineups a lot more. And they spent less and with real rotation, not <laughs> right. And, and yeah. by rotated the lineups, I mean, real rotation where you're making an a purposeful decision to rest guys, not just taking them out because they're hurt or whatever. And they were a team that were, was kind of like a, a, you know, a one note song with Maxi Morales for years. And mm-hmm. they've done an incredible job kind of phasing him out from kind of the more important thing. And there are a ton of similar similarities between him and Nicholas Otero. Absolutely. I think Maxi <clears throat> Morales hundred percent represents sort of like, the ideal of what you hope Nico Ladero can kind of become. Yeah. And uh, I would say the difference is NYCFC is kind of uh, a part of this like global cabal of they also have, football yes. group. Yeah. They have, they <laughs> and, have resources that the Sounders don't have. Yeah. And, you know, you can compare the roster, you know, the salaries and whatnot, but their access to data and scouting and all of that is just, it's honestly, quite frankly, uh, incredible. They haven't been dominating MLS at this point, but maybe that's because they uh, play in a baseball stadium. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that you can argue, <laughs> you can probably argue that New York city FC. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know that they could, they, they are very well run. They do a lot of things really well. By the way, Maxi Morales almost exactly two years older than Nico Ladero, and uh, and and they seem to be using him in a way that is uh, very similar to what the Sounders would, you know, like like I said, ideally this yeah. is the sort of way that Ladero transitions. And I do think that when Garth is talking about the league evolving. I have to think he has a team like NYCFC in mind. Maybe it's Philadelphia. Absolutely. But, no, I think you, I don't, yeah. I don't think, yeah, I think it's much closer to NYCFC than it is to Philadelphia, which is NYCFC goes out and they, they have some homegrown players, but they, the players they spend money on are usually younger and they, and they don't get hung up in acquiring players in a certain way. Like Philadelphia has a really great academy and they are starting to supplement those players with some really smart foreign signings. And, and that's really what's taken them, allowed them to level up over the last three seasons yeah. is that they've hit on those signings, right? They've hit on those signings. And, uh, but like, if you look at, they, they also have MLS veterans. They also have guys that are, you know, sort of retread types. And, and I think that's probably the thing the Sounders have done the best during the Garth Lago area is that they just have a diverse pathway to the first team. And, 
and that's you need to be i think that mls in mls you need to be sort of agnostic about uh your talent discovery systems yeah and and i don't i don't know this for a fact and i could be wrong but i doubt uh you tweeted something recently about kind of the um uh consolidation of where the sounders money is spent on the roster and it's a very high uh oh yeah percentage yeah. of their yes, roster yes, spent on yes, six yes. players yeah i know for a fact that that's not the case for nycfc and philadelphia <laughs> yeah right no absolutely uh the yeah the the athletic put out a, a report that basically narrowed down who who not only is who's spending the most but like where they're spending their money and the sounders were among the teams that concentrated like the Sounders aren't the highest spending team and they aren't necessarily the team with the most uh the the like the biggest gap between their you know like between their biggest and, and smallest players and like they're not way over balanced but they they do have a high concentration of their of their roster spend is on you know the top five or six roster spots and that I do think that creates a problem especially when almost all those players are older. Uh, and you know, spent a lot of time hurt this season. <laughs> right. Like the Sounders four designated or the Sounders four of the Sounders highest play players are over 30. That's, you know, that's, that's a, that's some problem. That doesn't mean that they're going to be awful next year, but it does suggest that there's a, we're in a period where they need to start transitioning. Yeah. And we get to a point where, you know, I don't know if this is worst case scenario. I'm sure things can get much worse. Um, but in terms of what we have experienced so far as Sounders fans, like missing the playoffs is really bad. And missing the playoffs now, is really bad. Absolutely. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. And now we're in a position where we miss the playoffs. And unless something uh, borderline miraculous happens, and that, that means somebody wants to purchase one of these injured D- DPs or kind of a, an interesting thing happens at the world cup with new who or Ariaga, the sounders don't have a ton of flexibility with, with their cap space to go into this off season and do, you know, a, a 2013 r- r- roster re- uh, hall or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, that was, I was supposed to ask a question, but I just kind of blanked. So you can go. For that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think the sounders are probably like, Loggerway has often talked about championship windows, and I think you can make a plausible argument that the championship window for this roster is probably open for another year. Like it's not outside of the realm of possibility that Jao Paulo, that the only change the Sounders make this offseason is that they get Jao Paulo and Obed Vargas back fully healthy, and that the combination of their health and the continued development of players like Josh Atencio, uh, Danny Leva, Jackson Reagan, maybe a Sam and Denneran. Maybe a deal like that. There's, I think, a completely plausible scenario where the roster, as it's constructed literally today, can make a run to the, uh, can make a real run at this thing. And it's not like I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility to think that Raul Rui Diaz could have a fully healthy year, and you know, uh, and contend for the Golden Boot. I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility that Albert Rusnak has sort of like a revival year that he's deployed more offensively that him and Nico Ladero switch positions. You know, you can come up with a lot of scenarios 
and I don't think it's outside the realm possibility that this team in 2023 could be very good, maybe among the best in the league, maybe the best in the league. Now, 2024 is another question because yeah. I, I, there's a lot of contracts that are going to come due. And I think there's a lot of attrition that's going to have to happen between now and 2024. And they're going to have to start adjusting. And one thing that Loggerway is really good at is succession planning within the roster. And, and that's, you know, I, one of the things that jumps out to me is like in 2019, he sort of presented that as the closing of a championship window. The next year they went out and they were one of the best teams in the league and they went to MLS cup and they probably should have won MLS cup. Uh, but they didn't, <laughs> but they didn't. And similarly, 2017, you know, the end of 2016 was also sort of like the close of a championship window. And then 2017, they were very competitive uh, for most of the year and they, and they went to MLS cup uh, in 2018. Ironically, they were probably, that was sort of like the, they were in some ways, uh, I guess 2019 was the peak of the 2018 season, but uh, yeah, 20, anyway, like, yeah, but we don't have to get into it. We don't have to get, this is getting <laughs> into the ways. My point being is that the Sounders have done a really good job of reloading without having to rebuild. And there's, and I, you know, there's reason to think that they wouldn't do that, but I don't think it's going to have to happen until 2024, I guess is the long way, the long, the short version of what I just said with many words. Yeah. And I mean, the Sounders do have some, a little bit of flexibility. It's really tight. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, it's sure. like, it's like wearing stretchy pants to Thanksgiving dinner, but <laughs> you can do, you can do a lot with that. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, things could change a lot after the world cup. Like, let's just say yeah. new who has a really good world cup and Ariaga gets enough playing time and, and who knows, maybe even I'm Jordan. Like I, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little more skeptical that Jordan and Christian are going to do anything at the world cup that raises their value, but I, I could definitely see a scenario where they sell one of, or both Ariaga and knew who, and then that frees up a bunch of salary cap space and gives them some allocation money. And all of a sudden, you know, they're in a position to, to make some real acquisitions. Those might not come until the summer, but I think they are in a position where they don't have to feel like they need to remake anything this offseason i will say the one position i really hope that they target and i don't i suspect they will is a left-sided whether it be a wing back or a left back they need to fill that position that is a glaring hole in the roster right now uh you know jimmy madranda was sort of tried there knew who has obviously been tried there i don't think i think what we learned is left back is not the position that knew who should be playing uh for the Sounders, at least as they're currently constructed. And Jimmy Madranda, I don't think is going to be back. And in any case, I don't think he's going to be a left back, even if he comes back. Uh, and that, you know, that essentially leaves you with Kellen Rowe as you're starting left back, left back slash wing back. I don't think that's the, I don't think anyone sees that as an ideal situation. Yeah. And uh, it also doesn't really seem like there's a, an academy guy. Uh, you know, a defined there's no guy. one, yeah, no one that yeah. I'm aware of that is banging down the door as the as a MLS as a certainly that's yeah. ready to be an MLS starter. <laughs> uh, and I think like uh, before I want to talk about backup strikers and either backup or starting left backs, the type of thing that can happen during a World Cup, and I don't think we're really prepared or we really, this is just kind of like uncharted territory as like MLS fans used to winter transfer windows is 
a certain player does not have to have a massive World Cup performance to uh, be the target of transfer speculation. What can sort of happen, and this is a really extreme example, um, but I think it kind of gives context for how kind of global transfers work, is a team like Manchester City, right? Probably the best team in the world. Um, as much how as much that, did that hurt? I was going to uh, say, that must I have mean, just felt like pain. Like, yeah, but also like 10 minutes ago, I was talking about how good NYCFC was, so I got used to it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they can target a player like Jack Grealish or Erling Holland, right? Spend a bunch of money on those two players. They bought those two the, over the course of a year, you know, whatever. Let me, let me run with this for a second. So they <laughs> buy Erling Holland from Borussia Dortmund, which is in Germany. They, that team then goes and buys a striker, a midfielder, a right back, a goalie, whatever, you know, four or five players with the money that they got for one player. All of those other players came from different teams. And, and so like, it's kind of that small domino, big domino meme where the knock-on effects can happen. And I do think a player like Nuhu, and I've been one of his biggest critics, has a certain particular skill set that can fit certain types of European soccer. And I know for a fact that scouts in Europe know that, and he's on certain lists. And it, so he might not necessarily have to have an incredible World Cup performance with Cameroon for a team to have their best left-sided center back in a back three get sold and they want to bring in Nuhu and another player for something like that to happen. All right. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, I think that's right. I think that's totally, that makes total sense. And it's a good reminder that like the, the gap between the Sounders doing almost nothing this off season and doing and having the ability to do a lot, whether this off season or in the, in the summer transfer window, which again, I think the more likely scenario is the Sounders probably hold the yeah. majority of their flexibility for the summer, because this, I think this winter off season is going to be a mess. Uh, it's it's going to not like be like anything we've ever seen before on a global yeah. and not just MLS. Yeah, like we're used yeah, to yeah. kind of weird things happening during the winter. Like, uh, the bloody big deal and stuff with TFC almost 10 years ago. Like we're used to that stuff on kind of a macro level, but or micro level, but it's right. going to be insane for every team in the world. I think. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it, absolutely. It's going to be like, I, I don't, it, it can't be overstated how much the winter world cup is going to change the way everything works. Uh, <laughs> And, and if you know, I mean, we've never had a what is it like a six week break in yeah. all of the European seasons in the middle of the year all at once. Like we all the way down, like not just the top, not just the top divisions, but this is affecting like Wrexham, which is the subject of a pretty good TV show. Like yeah. they're taking a break. <laughs> I actually didn't know that. I didn't know that they yeah. were taking like yeah. Uh, it's not. It's it not going to be as long, long, but like all the way down every pyramid in every country they're they're not going to be playing because of fifa's rules yeah well that that's a that i mean yes point being that that adds a wrinkle to this off season that makes it very hard to predict if nothing else yeah 
So I think with that said, um, what are kind of the bare, and we've already kind of started talking about this, but I needed to derail that conversation for a minute. Like the bare minimums that the Sounders need to do this offseason with the pennies that they have in the couch are a backup left back or a starting left back, preferably, and kind of what else? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other the other positions, I mean, I, I got to think the two, by far the two top of the, like if you're going shopping, it's got to be a, a backup forward and it's got to be a, a left-sided two-way player. I guess that's yeah. a good way of putting it, a two-way left-sided yeah. player. Yeah, because uh, you, you can have like a Jovan Jones type and you can have a Leo Gonzalez new type. And I don't, I don't know that they're in, and I suppose maybe they, it depends on, again, it depends on what else happens, but I think I wouldn't be shocked if they went out and got a, a center back. Like if Ari, again, this is only if Ariaga leaves, but I, I could see them feeling like, and I, and I think center back is also a position, especially with the way that free agency is evolving. Like there's two really good free agents in MLS uh, right now, Alexander Collins and Aaron Long. Uh, I don't know that the Sounders would sign, like, are going to be able to sign either, but it just kind of like, this is the the level of talent. Like every year, the free agent market is going to get more and more enticing. Like we saw yeah. it last year with Albert Rusnak. Uh, and, you know, he was the first designated player who changed teams via free agency. Uh, and I suspect that's going to become more and more normalized where we're going to see players knowingly allowing their contracts to like Aaron Long is a good example of a player who I would assume New York has been trying to resign for most of the year. And he just said, look, I want to test free agency. Well, that's because they, he wanted to get them. sold and right. <laughs> they didn't sell him. Right. Not and for it, a lack of it, offers. <laughs> right. And I, and I think that's actually one of the things that's really great about free agency is that it gives so much more leverage to players where, uh, it it's a it's just another enticement for teams to sell players before they let them get into their final year of their contract. Like if they aren't gonna, if you want to keep a guy, and you um, it behooves you to sign him before he goes into his last year of the contract, even more now than ever. Uh, and I think that's you know that's another reason why we might see Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan uh, sign extensions this offseason because I I'm sure the Sounders are not looking forward to the possibility of either one of them going into their final year of their contract uh, and then them losing control of those players, even though they have a lot of goodwill with them. Like that's not, that only goes so far. Yeah. Uh, Is there any, do you think there's any hope in like maybe Nico moving on or is that just, I don't know. I, I, the more I thought, like, I think there's hope is a weird way to put that. Yeah. Hope's I, a, yeah. Yeah. That, hope, that's not what I meant, but what are the odds? <laughs> I, yeah. So he's due something like 3.2, 3, somewhere between 3.2, $3.5 million next year. I'm, I don't think he would be able to get that anywhere else. Like, I think like just today we saw uh, Joseph Martinez apparently is going to, is on the outs with Atlanta and, and they're talking about buying him out at $4.1 million in part because there's probably not a trade market. No one wants to sign Joseph Martin. Like Joseph Martin, yeah. one of the most prolific goal scorers in MLS history. Was. Doesn't ha- was, right, exactly. He's not anymore. Right, and that's the same thing with Nico, though, I guess, is my point, is yeah. that this is a, 
is that it's like it really is like to get that kind of money in MLS. It's it's what have you done for me lately? And uh, both players are reasonably productive, but they aren't producing numbers that justify their current salaries. And I don't begrudge either one of those players for getting the money because they earned every penny of it. But like, are there any teams in MLS willing to sign Nico Ladero for over $3 million right now? I suspect not. And uh, would he be willing to be traded within the league anyway? I suspect not probably. I mean, he probably has a no trade clause. So that leaves him finding someone elsewhere to take his contract. Like this is all assuming he wants to leave. And sure, maybe I'm sure Nashianal would take, would love to have him back, but Nashianal is not paying him $3 million a year. Like that's just not how, yeah, and, Su- and Suarez is not sticking around. Uh, he was right. He's, he's going to leave there after the World Cup too. So. Right, exactly. And and so my suspicion is that Nico is back, unless the Sounders are willing to buy him out. And I don't unlike unlike Martinez, Nico is not like making it untenable. I don't think Nico is making it untenable to stick around. Like my suspicion is that he would like to like play out his contract he would probably be willing to take an extension if the number was right and i if if you're if i had to guess i think it's probably more likely that the sounders sign him to a multi-year extension that gives him more total guaranteed money but pays down his salary cap number for this year maybe presumably would have to be below dp so in order to do that the sounders would probably have to give him guarantee him something like four and a half million dollars spread it out over three years and they get the DP spot back. They'd have to find the allocation money to, to cover the difference uh, between his salary cap now and, and what the salary cap would be in that situation. And maybe uh, you get that from selling Nuhu or Ariaga. Right, right, exactly. And, but then you have an open DP spot that you can do whatever you want with. And, and I think that's probably a more likely scenario than them just taking Nico and saying, here's $3 million to just walk away. And... I think that would be honestly the the more I dug into it, there was a part of me that thought that was sort of appealing, like, hey, it's just money, who cares? Uh, but this is a player who who still like covered a ton of ground, who still does a lot of things really well. I just don't think is the creative fulcrum of the team that he once was. And they need to transition him away from that role. Like he should not be taking every set piece. He uh, yeah. probably shouldn't even be playing as a number 10 anymore. He probably needs to be farther back in the field. And I think if you spend a whole off season, you know, transitioning him into that, something more like a Maxi Morales, like we said earlier, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, there's no reason he can't still be a useful player. It's just not, he can't be your, your best and most important player. Yeah. And $3 million would be more than they've ever spent on a transfer fee. Is that right? No, if they bought I mean, him they, out. No, they, I mean they they paid more. They paid more for both him and for uh oh and for Rui Diaz. And I guess uh, technically Dempsey's transfer fee was uh higher yeah. than that, but but and, Daddy and, Garber was took the, care of that. Yeah, and even Oba Martins <laughs> was probably in the same okay. range. But uh, it's so that's it, the type of money we're kind of talking about. Just right, to tell a player to go away. <laughs> this right, the Sounders don't have don't have a history of spending millions of dollars on yeah. nothing. You know, yeah. just for flexibility purposes. And that might not, like, I was kind of, like, I think maybe 40 minutes ago, whenever we started recording, I was kind of in the idea of having Nico walk at all costs. But I think you've kind of talked me into this, like, maybe he sticks around, maybe he's a lot less important. uh, And that's probably better overall. That probably helps transition the team better. 
hopefully. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, because it's been two years since he's been really the guy. <laughs> and right. he was kind of the guy during CCL, but not really. It was That was just like team stuff. Anyways, we don't really need to rehash all of that. So kind of the conclusions and the expectations for heading into this offseason should be not a whole lot's going to happen unless something really big happens. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I don't, I, I, I think it's going to be a pretty quiet off season unless like one of these other big shoes drop and then it, it changes things. But like where we sit right now, I'm, like I, I'm not, I think knew who would have to really perform really well to bring in a significant offer from overseas, you know, it's, it's sort of come, I think the, like reading the tea leaves, I don't think there's ever really been a big offer for him. Like there's been a lot of rumors yeah. around offers for him, but I think if the Sounders had ever gotten a million dollar offer for new, they probably would have taken it. And right. I think, and it's, you know, if you listen to the side by side podcast with Brad and, and Zach, uh, they sort of alluded to this idea that, or they actually, I think Zach Kwani actually said, knew who has kind of come to terms if for lack of a better uh, way of saying it <laughs> with this might be his best, like he might, this might be his best spot. And, yeah. and I don't know if that's a, that's a good thing or a bad thing necessarily, but I'm not right now. I, I'm not necessarily expecting him to move. I think Ariaga is another one who like, I think the Sounders would like, I think Ariaga is a good player. I, I'm less convinced that he is a game change. Like I thought he underperformed a little bit this year and he just hasn't reached the expectations that no, like he's, he was supposed to. Right. And he, you know, there is like, he wasn't as good at bulk progressing this year as, as I think he has shown in the past. And, you know, he does some things well, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that he's, there's a big offer waiting for him either. Yeah. Or I mean, Freeing up a salary would be great, I think, if you can find anybody <laughs> to do that. But uh, it seems unlikely. Um, and then you just have to replace him. Like, you have two center backs at that, I guess three, with A.B. Sissoko. But um, you have to sign a center back if he leaves. And maybe you don't sign somebody better than him, or even as good. So those are kind of the... Uh, when every when people talk about transfers, they never want to talk about it being risky to sign somebody. Everybody talks about how risky it is to not sign somebody, but yeah. actually, actually making a transfer is risky. And we saw that Ariaga is the perfect example. He was signed in 2019 to replace Chad Marshall, and the two center backs that started MLS Cup final were Roman Torres and Kim Kihi. So. And that was seven months later after he was signed. So I think it's just kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, and and, I mean, I think you can't really Yamar is, yeah. you know, and I think Yamar has probably been the like, right. I, I agree. It's, it's, it's always risky. There's always, you know, like, and I think the Sounders have, have, you know, they've made some, some aggressive moves in the transfer market. Uh, some of them have worked out. Some of them haven't, but you know, I, I think it, it, what anything we've said this many times, but I think what this year really illustrates is like the margins in MLS are really fine. Like what separates the best teams from the worst teams is, is like 
you know, a few minutes here and there, like, like Columbus crew were probably, you know, uh, a few, they were, if you, if they, every game ended in the 80th minute, the Columbus crew would probably have been the supporter shield winners, you know, and instead they missed the playoffs. Or on the flip side, like we're talking a 10 point swing for the Sounders from being an 11th and hosting an MLS playoff. Game. Right. Right. <laughs> At least no, exactly. Right. And, exactly. and that's why these, that's why these teams going around dancing on predictions that were eight, eight months ago are so funny. Cause it's like, right. We're talking, we're talking about 10 points here and right. we can, we've done several podcasts pointing out where those 10 points went. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not that hard to figure out you change those things and we're still having the same conversation about the work that the Sounders need to do in 2023 and 2024, but maybe they're in the conference finals this weekend. I don't know. Anyways. And I think maybe, and if you want to be really Pollyanna-ish, maybe this is all good. Like maybe the Sounders were, and maybe it's think Pollyanna-ish. I think it's actually something that, that uh, Garth has alluded to is that like, maybe this was a good thing for the Sounders to go through. Like maybe they needed to shake up their mindset. Maybe they needed to miss the playoffs in order uh, for the messages that have been uh, shared to really land where it's like, look, if we don't, you know, if we don't train as hard as we do every week, this is what happens. If we don't uh, go through our systems, if we don't follow the process, if we don't, you know, da, 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 if we, if we allow ourselves that break, this is what can happen. And, you know, um, so hopefully, hopefully this leads to bigger and better things. Right. That's all we can say. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to get bigger and better than what the Sounders have done in the last yeah. five years. So, right. uh, and it's really hard to stay at the top uh, as we, uh, as we know. Um, do you have any final thoughts before we leave? Um, you know, I, guess, I don't know. Let's talk you... about Will Bruin really quick. Oh yeah, I know it's, it is a bummer. Um, you know, we, we, I did the podcast with Will a couple weeks ago. And I guess he never explicitly said that his option had been declined, but he made it he he made it pretty obvious that uh, he wasn't necessarily planning on coming back. Uh, it's been great having him. I I think the Sounders and him are it has probably reached a logical conclusion for for both teams. I hope he lands somewhere, but I'm not quite ready to close the book on Will Bruin in involvement with. Uh, the Sounders. I think there could be a future there. He's he's told me he wants to get into coaching eventually, and um and so as long as you know, like I I would I w- he seems to really like it here. His his brother's now living locally. Yeah, he so owns a house here, right? So he owns a house in Beacon Hill. Um, you know, well, one of the things him, that was man. Like, come on, and then one of the, one of, <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Uh, what I think that I thought was funny was he was complaining about how. Uh, he wanted the rain to come because his lawn was dying. And I just felt like that was a very uh, Seattle complaint is yeah. like, you can't water your lawn because the rain will eventually, you know, the rain will come back. But. And I think, I think uh, a couple of things about Will Bruin um, to kind of put a bow on the Garth Lagerway conversation is signing Will Bruin, I think is pr- the most important signing Garth Lagerwey's made more than Nicholas Sodera, more than Raul Rui Diaz, because I don't think the Sounders are nearly as successful over the last five years without a player like Will Bruin, to an extent, a player like Harry Ship and 
to an extent, a player like Kellen Rowe. It's the it's this type of signing that I think Garth Lagerway is the best at. And yeah. if I can see that. you know, a big if is if uh Will Bruin does come back. I know Garth Lagerway said the door is open. Uh that's even more so like convincing a player of Will Bruin's quality to stick around. And then on top of that, I think just this organization imprints on players like Will Bruin, like Andy Rose, up and down, all like Chad Marshall, like he played the least amount of time in Seattle over his career. And he like is still showing up at the CCL final to do the scarves up. And he's not doing that for the Columbus crew. So, hey, I'm just saying, I think it's I, cool. I, th- I do think that it's, <laughs> it is, it does really say something about the organization that they're able to get, you know, like, they're able to get a lot of players that want to be here for one reason or another, and they want to stay involved. And I think that is probably their secret sauce ultimately is, is like creating an environment where this, they want this to continue. And, and that's also what gives me hope going forward is that I don't think that anyone in the organization is just accepting missing the playoffs as, you know, uh, part of business. And I I'm sure there are people like us who are, kind of relieved to have an offseason <laughs> but i don't think that is diminishing anyone's that's that's sort of like only getting them more excited for uh trying to avoid the same thing next year and if there's reason to have hope i think it's it's that sort of mentality i think the team knows that it has to hold itself to a high standard whether it's garth in charge or someone else i i don't you know i think the the organization feels to me like it's in good hands and um you know, we'll see, we'll see where it goes, but I, I think this will be, it'll be interesting to see where this, where, where we are in a few months. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's a good, a good place to end it for, uh, for now. Uh, I don't know how, I mean, we will be recording, but obviously we're not going to do it every week. Like we were during the season. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, I've been Mark Kastner. Over there has been Jeremiah O'Shan. And by over there, I mean like 1,600 miles over there. Uh, (laughs) um, But yeah, this has been the Center Heart Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.